way. First Peter, chapter four, verse twelve. If you would turn there with me, we're going to we are continuing in our series, "Strengthen Thy Brethren" from the book of First Peter, and we are in volume two. This is lesson number ten. And we are going to go ahead and read this right now. We'll do some review, do some teaching, and then we will get on with the morning. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. <clears throat> Beloved, think it not strange in the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, <clears throat> that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with its seeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their, par- on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So, that is the scripture reading for today. As normal for the way that I teach my parts in this series is we're just going to break that down bit by bit and exposit the word of God. Let God do the job. I've tried not to get in the way. And... We will move forward. But the title of the lesson today is Be Strong and Suffer Long. That's the title of the lesson. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity again to come up here. And I thank you for the um, opportunity I get to come up here and teach the Word of God. Uh, Father, I do not take it lightly. Lord, I do like to joke. I do like to kid. Father, but this is serious business up here. Uh, Lord, and I pray that you would help me to focus my mind on the things that you would want to be said pray that you would give me green lights where I'm supposed to go and stop signs where I'm supposed to stop. Uh, Father, I thank you for the blessings of being a member of this church and a member of this family. Uh, Lord, I pray, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is a classic confrontation between the reasoning of man and between the wisdom of God. and It's a conflict that we've dealt with from the time... Christ was here, and it's a conflict that we still deal with today, and more and more we're dealing with it than we have in the past, even more. In higher society, people believe that if we serve the Lord, everything is going to be smooth, and everything is going to be pleasant. Now, you know that's not true, because you've read your Bibles. But I don't know if we really, really believe that that's not true. I think secretly, maybe in deep, dark parts of ourselves that we don't show people, we, we secretly believe that suffering can't really happen to me. We leave a gospel tract at the gas pump, and we think that the community will quietly, secretly approve of that. 
have an unspoken respect for it. We speak about our faith at work, and we expect some spiritual red carpet to be rolled out for us because we did our fair share. And maybe that's not you, and if that's not you, that's great, but I'm speaking to an entire grouping of people here, and that's the generality that that is certainly true. I want you to consider this quote. He is a WW2-era preacher who assisted Jews from Germany getting out of Germany until he eventually got captured and put into prison, prison for his efforts. His name is Richard Wormbrand. Now, if you look him up, it says that he's a priest. That's not true. He's a Lutheran. Lutherans don't have priests. Um, they don't believe in that. But he was a preacher, and he, he believed the gospel, and he preached the gospel, and he eventually was imprisoned for saving people, Jewish people, God's people, from the torture that the uh, Nazis were giving them. And in that, he wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. And in that book holds this quote that he said. It was from an account of his interactions in prison as a preacher. And it reads this way. It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted there the communists' terms. It was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. That's Richard Wormbrand in Tortured for Christ. We need to start thinking differently, friends. We are not above that level of suffering. In fact, let's start thinking this way. We are below that level of suffering. And here's why. We don't currently, as, as a, not you, individual, I don't know your setting, specifically everyone, I'm talking to the group. We don't currently qualify for those benefits that Mr. Wombrand got the privilege to experience. That level of suffering for Christ is a privilege. But it's a privilege that many of us think doesn't exist. Many of us think can't happen. Many of us think won't happen. And the ones that do understand it, have fear and trepidation about it. The pattern that I'm referencing here, here's, here's our usual pattern of thinking when we get saved. Here's our pattern of thinking. We live in sin, and that sin causes what? Suffering, right? So sin causes suffering. And we look at our lives, and we look at God, and and many of us have gotten to the point in our lives at that point, prior to salvation, that we said, I don't want to suffer like this anymore. I want to get right. I'm going to start following the Lord. And we expect not to suffer anymore because we've gotten right with the Lord. Now that makes reasonable sense in, in some certain circumstances in your life that can be true. If you're suffering as an alcoholic and you drop the booze, you will stop suffering as an alcoholic to the extent that you've stopped. Make sense? But generally speaking, a lack of suffering is not the pattern that God has for us. And we need to understand that going in. 
Peter, in this book, was writing to people in a church that were going through a high level of suffering. A high level of suffering. For the sake of Christ, they were doing the work. They were living right. They were doing right. They were being right. But they were finding that this work God called them to brought pain and discomfort. And Peter explains to them that suffering as a concept, is something that they should be experiencing. That it's a good thing. That it means that they're on the right track. Here's to summarize. That's a fairly long introduction. Let me summarize where we're going in, in one sentence to give some clarity here. I've laid groundwork. Let's talk about the direction we're going. We are Christians. And if we live out our faith, we are going to suffer for the name of Jesus. We should not see this as a surprise or an indication that we are failing. But it is something to rejoice about if you are suffering for Jesus. Now today we're going to look at this idea of suffering. And we're going to see how this idea of suffering applies to us. How do we, what is the proper interaction with suffering? So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at it through the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. So let's, let's start with the first things. Number one, let's go with me to verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with its seeding joy. So number one here, we have to see this. Interaction with suffering. Number one, what's the first thing? Number one, there is a certainty of suffering in your life. There is a certainty of suffering in your life. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Let's all say together. They shall do what? Suffer persecution. There is a certainty of suffering in your life. Now, we, say, we, we, we might give mental assent to that. We might say that out of our mouths because the Bible says it. But let, let's take this opportunity to really drink that truth in deep. And acknowledge that as a part of our lives. Because that's what it is. There is a certainty in suffering. And that, that suffering that we have is a couple of things. Number one, that suffering is normal. For the Christian, suffering is normal. It's almost routine. If, now we won't turn there, but if, if you go to the book of Acts, and you look at all of the things that happened in the book of Acts from the Christians who were actually living what God had told them to do, there was always somebody coming along trying to knock them off their path. When you look at Nehemiah, and you look at what he tried to build, and the burden that he had, and the things that God asked him to do, there's always somebody, and they, they come out of nowhere, don't they? Isn't it funny how that happens? You start working, it's, it's like they just come from the air, just these, these, these random people, they just 
just, it's like their whole existence is just to make your life miserable for the thing that you're trying to do. do we, have you seen people like this? Am I the only one? There's people that come, and it's, it, it's like they were created and formulated just to get in your way for the thing that God has created you to do. People, there are people out there like that. And the suffering that you have as a Christian is normal because life for you as a Christian, you are a nail and a piece of wood. So this is the wood, this is you. And there are people out there that Satan has wired their minds in such a way to find those nails and to hammer them. And you're that nail. And if you start doing the work for the Lord and you start coming up out of the woodwork... Someone's gonna st- somebody is going to try to smack you down. Okay, the only suffering we have, really, when you think about it, is interaction with people and interaction with ourselves. Okay, and these people are, are going to make you suffer. And that suffering, what you need to understand is that it's, number one, it's normal, but number two, look at this, it's intense. Beloved, think not the strange, con- beloved, think it not strange concerning the, what? Fiery trial. Fire burns! Don't you understand? <laughs> What's the first thing we teach our kids when they start getting tall enough to walk in the kitchen? You see that burner? It's hot. Don't touch it. Fire burns. It's a fiery trial. That means it's a painful trial. Imagine putting your hand... Who's done that as a child? You're a kid, and you put your hand on a hot burner. Who here has ever experienced a burn at all? Anyone? Yeah, it's so painful you can't even speak. Right? You can't even get it out. It's, it hurts so bad. It's a fiery trial. That's the level of suffering that you are going to experience as a Christian if you are living the Christian life. And that suffering is intense. Intense. And guess what? It happens to you even when you're doing all the right things. Go with me to Job chapter 14. Job chapter 14. This is a man who is doing everything right. Everything right. And look what he has to say. Job chapter 14. Job, how are you feeling today? Job chapter 14, verse 1. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Boy, you've got to be a good friend to stick around after somebody lays that on you first thing in the morning. He cometh forth like a flower, and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow, and continueth not. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such an one, and bringest me into the judgment with thee? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Turn from him, that he may rest, till he shall accomplish... Accomplish as an hireling his day. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud, and bring forth boughs like a plant. But man dieth, and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost, and who is, and where is he? As the waters fail from the sea, and the flood decayeth and dryeth up, so man lieth down and riseth not, till the heavens be no more. 
They shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. Boy, he just sounds like he's having a great time in the Lord. Amen? He's having a good old time, isn't he? No, he's not. He's suffering. Why is he suffering? He is suffering because he has gotten the attention of Satan himself. That is how good he was. He had guarded the attention of Satan, not one of Satan's underlings, not one of Satan's uh, devils. He had gotten the attention of Satan himself. He was so good. The better you are, the more attention you are going to bring from the opposing forces, and they do exist. So that suffering is normal, and that suffering is intense. And guess what? That intensity is going to increase the closer you draw to Christ. So there is a certainty to this suffering. You just have to get that doubt. And listen, you're just going to have to get to a point where you accept that. I tell my kids, look, different people parent differently. Different people feel differently about certain things. And, and I'm not always right about everything I say. In fact, I'm probably wrong more than I'm right. But you know what? We have, you know how it is. When, you're, when you run a house, you've got to just make some decisions. You've got to do the best you can with the knowledge that you have. And you can't look back and regret. You just have to do what you can with the knowledge you have and make decisions when you can. So I tell my kids, I say, look, this is the way it is. Dad, I don't like that. I don't think that's right. It doesn't matter if you think it's right. And you know what? You might be right. But this is the way it is because this is the way it has to be. Okay, and, if I can, and what I find with my children is that if I can get them to accept that this is just the way it is, they can live in that reality and have a much better attitude about what I'm asking them to do. And I fear that in our church, we are losing our ability to deal with this idea of suffering. Not because we're particularly a bad church. No, I believe we're a good church. I believe this is a good church. But as a people, I think we're losing the ability to suffer. And I think that largely has to do with the country that we live in. So we have to understand, suffering is normal, and the suffering is intense. And thirdly, it's going to increase the closer you draw to Christ. There's a certainty in this suffering. And there is a certainty in this suffering. But what is the root cause? What is the cause of suffering? At least in the context of This type of suffering. What is the cause? Go with me to verse 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Well, that's easy. That speaks for itself. The root cause of the suffering is Christ. You could choose to not suffer in this way. You could choose to lay down what you know about Jesus Christ. And you can choose to have a life of ease from this type of suffering. You can do that. You, you right now, you can, do, you can walk out of these doors and you have the ability to never do another thing for the Lord and have a very easy life, comparatively speaking. You can. Plenty have. Look at our chairs. It is an option that you have. We, we can't stop you as a church. We, we can't, there's nothing we can do about it. You make your own decisions and and, and we love you, but that, that's how it goes. But if you do choose Christ, and thankfully it seems we have, choosing Christ is choosing somebody who lived in a way 
that though he was perfect, they killed him on a cross. See, if you want the blessings of heaven, God has a cross for you to bear too. He is a cross-bearing Lord. That's part of his character. That's part of his makeup. And he bears a cross. And if you're going to follow him, you bear a cross too. That's part of the makeup of a Christian. And that is the reason for the suffering. Is because cross-bearing is a characteristic of our Lord. That is the first cause of suffering. Number one, it's Christian living. Number two, what's the second cause of suffering? Sinful living. You see, when we talk about this idea of suffering, I think one of the things that we need to understand is that suffering is going to happen to you one way or another in your life. I liken it this way. When you, and I know I'm not the most physically fit individual. I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm trying to rectify that. Um, but that's a process that takes time. Okay? But having that be the case, it's the same as working out. When you go to the gym and you eat right and you give your body the proper amount of exercise, you know what you're doing when you go to the gym? You know what you're doing? You know what you're really doing when you go to the gym? You're suffering. You're dying, yes. You're dying. You're suffering. You are breaking down parts of your body so that they can be built back stronger. You are suffering. Why are you suffering in that way so that you don't have to suffer in this way? With hypertension, diabetes, inability to walk. Okay? You choose your suffering. And a lot of people choose sinful suffering. And it's a more passive kind of suffering. It's not as an aggressive kind of suffering, but it will kill you all the same. And that is a lead-in to our third point here. So number one, we looked at the certainty of suffering, that it's normal and intense. What is the cause of suffering? Christian living and sinful living. Those are the two causes of suffering. Thinking about this idea of sinful living, this will parlay us into our third point, which is this. We need to have caution about the suffering. We're interacting with suffering, okay? Let's think about this a little bit. We need to caution ourselves when thinking about suffering. Go near to verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? So there's a caution of suffering. And I've said this before, I'm going to say it right now, suffering is going to happen no matter what you do. Suffering is not just certain for the Christian, it is certain for all of us. The trouble is, there's only one type of suffering that's going to bring us benefit. See, here's the flow. Living for Jesus equals suffering, but for growth and for glory, for the Lord. Living for self also equals suffering, but all that brings in your life is shame and stalling. When you live for yourself, you get the immediate gratification. You get, it's the equivalent of eating something sugary and getting a dopamine dump, or scrolling through Facebook and getting a dopamine dump, 
in your brain. But it doesn't give you anything. It doesn't give the Lord. It gives nobody anything. It just gratifies you, which is always going to lead to sin when that is your aim. So suffering is going to happen no matter what. We have to be cautious about that. But number two, we can suffer at our own hands. The Bible is warning us about this. Listen, if you're suffering because of what you're doing for God, I say praise God. But I think a lot of people confuse the suffering that they cause on themselves with the suffering that they are ascribing to being a Christian. And that's not true. Let's look here. Verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Let's look at some of these titles that he gives. We can suffer at our own hands. Let's look at the first one. Murder. That's a heinous sin. If you're going to Leviticus chapter 24, verse 17, what is the punishment for that sin? At least in God's economy. Death. That person should die. We won't turn there for sake of time, but that person should die. The next one. If you suffer as a thief... Well, that's a, that's a sin of laziness, generally speaking. You don't want to work to have something nice. You'd rather just take it from somebody else that worked. Well, Proverbs 13.4 tells us, or 13, 4, I'm sorry, says this. You're going to live in poverty. You're going to have a life of wanting all the time but having nothing. If you're going to live a life of laziness. Let's look at the sin of an evildoer. That's a criminal lifestyle type of sin. You know who I think about when I think of somebody who's a criminal? Just, you, know, you know those people. They're in and out of prison all the time. They, they've got a lifestyle of crime. They might be walking free, but you, you look at them and, well, maybe not you. I, for me, my mother worked in the prison systems throughout growing up, a police officer, and in the legal system and all that. So I'm exposed to a lot of these types of people in my youth, and, and I, can, I can see the, the criminality of a person. It just stinks on them because that's all that they're about. And that's what they are. And that's what they put on themselves. But when you're that way, here's what it leads to. It leads to reputational ruin. Let me take you to a more obscure view of a very familiar verse. Luke 10, chapter 25, verse 37. Don't turn there. Think about this. The Good Samaritan. What do you think about the highwaymen? The men that robbed him and beat him. Do you know that's the only thing the Bible says about those men? And I know it's a parable. I understand that. But that's the only thing it says about them. It doesn't say that somebody caught up with them and they got saved and they turned their lives around. No. Their reputation in the Word of God, printed forever, is that they are highway robbers. And that is your life. That is how people see you if you live a life of criminality. Let's go to the next one. A busybody. That's the sin of being nosy, meddlesome. Proverbs 16, verse 28, says this, that you're not going to have any meaningful relationships in your life if that's something that you struggle with. You know why? Because people aren't going to trust you. Because you're always, you're always nosing through other people's business. It's not your business. Why do I bring those up? Well, because that's what the verses are, so I, I thought it good to, to break that down a little bit, and I think it's important that we do. It's fair game to say if that's in there, and I'm asked to preach it, the Lord might know that we suffer with one or two of those. Uh, but nonetheless, why do I say that generally? I say generally to say this. You can suffer at your own hand, and oftentimes we do. And we should not. We don't have to. 
So the caution of suffering, it's going to happen, number one. We can do it at our own hands if we're not careful. Number two, we have to be careful about that. Number three, we should not feel shame for suffering rightly. It's the third thing about this caution for suffering. We shouldn't feel shame for suffering rightly. And the world does that. Go with me to verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Can I bring that down to a level for you, where I'm at, where you're at? You know, if you go out there and you start knocking on doors, and you, and you leave in tracks. There was one time during the pandemic, Pastor and I went out soul winning. And, and you know Pastor, he likes getting the, the provocative, you know, someone tells him to do this, and he goes, well, now not only am I going to do that, now I'm going to do even more, you know. And it, in the Christian life, and, and I think that's commendable, and that's how he is. So he got these tracks that... Uh, were provocative. It was something about a virus. I can't remember specifically what it said, but it was, it was attacking the whole idea of the virus and that we need to be prioritizing Christ. So he left one of those on the door, and a person came to us, or no, a person, we got like five houses down, and we're done. We're walking down the middle of the street at this point, getting back to the car, and we see the guy opening up the door, and he reads, and he goes, what's worse than a virus dying without Christ? Hey, 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 you! Don't put this stuff on my door anymore. Don't ever come back here again. Don't get it. What's he doing? He's trying to make us feel bad for doing good. And if we're of a high agreeableness in our lifestyle and our thinking, you know what we're going to do? We're going to look at that guy and go, maybe he's right. He's not. You are standing on truth. And you are doing right when you're serving God. And you should stand on that. And you ought to have a backbone and not be afraid to do right. Don't let them talk you down and tell you that you're a radical or that you are wrong in what you're doing. If they do that, do more of it. You know what I love? There's another example I think about. Um, and this is one I heard from actually a Jack Hiles sermon. Somebody came up, you might have even heard this live. I know it happened in the 80s at some point. He, um, he was saying that um, one of the townships that were near his church called and asked, hey, you've got to stop sending those people those pamphlets to our community. They, they're calling, they're complaining. We can't have that, you have to stop. And Brother Hiles said, well, why? <laughs> it's perfectly legal. He said, well, you have to stop. Well, no, we're not going to stop. Well, you're going to stop. No, no, we're not going to stop. In fact, if you keep pestering me about this, I'm going to send 3,000 people to that community, and we're really going to get after it if you keep bugging me about this. Let it go. Let us serve the Lord. And you know what? That guy just kind of died down, and that's what you need to do. If somebody gets in your face and tries to tell you you're wrong, stand up for yourself. Stand up for the Lord. You're doing right. Be confident in it. We should not feel shame. People will try to make you feel like what you're doing is wrong or stupid. Don't believe it. So the cautions of suffering. Suffering is going to happen. We can suffer at our own hands. We should not feel shame for doing right. And lastly, let's look here. We should cleanse ourselves of wrong types of suffering. Verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and, it is, and if it is first begins at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? So, 
we need to cleanse ourselves of the wrong types of suffering. Number one, for our own, for our own benefit. We see that in verse 17 in the first half. And then number two, for the benefit of the community at large. Because if we scarcely be saved, what are they going to do? So we, we need to cleanse ourselves of that sin. Okay, back to the main points. Number one, there's a certainty in suffering. Number two, there's a cause of suffering. Number three, there's some cautionary things about suffering we need to be aware of. And number four, there's a conclusion of suffering. No, I'm not going to talk about heaven. I'm sorry. This is a sobering lesson today. The conclusion of suffering. Go with me to verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. What's the conclusion of suffering? Here's the whole matter. Boiled down to one sentence. You have to be willing to suffer long. That's all there is to it. That's all there is. You, you have to be willing to suffer for a long time. For the rest of your life. Because that's what the Christian life is. And if you can't handle that, then you can't minister. That is how God has prescribed it to be. We have to be willing to suffer long. There is fortitude. This fortitude that we need, it is a fruit of the Spirit. If you go to Galatians 5, 22, one of the fruits or the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. And then when you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, you see that when Timothy is talking about himself, one of the things that he is most happy with or that he is able to present to them as a qualification for what he is doing is that he is long-suffering. He has an ability to have fortitude and to suffer long. And we need to have that as well. We are Christians. If we live out our faith, we will suffer for the name of Jesus. We should not see this as a surprise or an indication that we're failing, but as something to rejoice about. Suffering for Jesus is a necessary part of the building process of the Christian. Without the pain of suffering, we'll never experience the growth we need to get to the next level to do what God wants us to do. It's a part of our lives. It's a part of the process. The question is, are you willing to suffer for Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you.